Good to be with you uh, this morning. Uh, and uh, this morning we're going to be looking at a, a, a small book in the Old Testament that you might have to look at the, at the table of contents to find in your Bible. Uh, it's the book of Habakkuk. Uh, we are going to be looking at uh, Habakkuk 3 uh, this morning. And as you're, as you're turning there, uh, when I was uh, working at a, a Christian elementary school, I had the privilege of teaching chapels and uh, kind of doing a little devotional each day uh, for the students uh, at recess. Uh, and one of the uh, one of the things that I, I chose to do is to go through uh, every book in the Bible and kind of talk about what it's about and create a little hand motion uh, to help the the kids remember uh, what each book was about, kind of in order. And um, I chose to make the hand motions not just about something that was in the book, uh, but what the book. Uh, what the main purpose of it was. Uh, and uh, th- there were some of those books that, that I really, really wanted them to remember. Uh, and, and especially, uh, I guess, some of those that, that would be really important later on in life would be uh, Job, which the hand, the hand motion was just a little, uh, you know, a little teardrop uh, on, the, on the face because uh, Job suffered uh, in his life. Uh, and uh, as Job wrestled with uh, the, the goodness and the sovereignty of God, I wanted the kids to know where to turn to uh, in that process, uh, to know uh, where to look. And uh, another book that I really wanted them to, to know about and to remember was uh, this book that we're going to be talking about this morning, Habakkuk. Uh, and the hand motion for Habakkuk was looking up at the sky kind of with, uh, with arms raised uh, as if you're crying out to God. Uh, because Habakkuk is uh, a prophet uh, in the, the late 7th century, and he, he's wrestling with God's goodness, uh, with God's judgment uh, of God. You, you've chosen to, to act in certain ways, and Habakkuk didn't like it. Uh, and he objected to what God was doing and how he was doing it. Uh, and in these, uh, these three chapters that we're going to look at uh, this morning, we're going we're to really focus on the last four verses of the book, but uh, just really if you wanted to, to, to cover what Habakkuk is about and, and see Habakkuk wrestling and crying out to God because he's questioning God's judgment uh, of is God genuinely good uh, and is he genuinely in control uh, and why is he acting the way that he is. Uh, and I wanted the, uh, these elementary school students to remember where to look in the Bible for that because uh, suffering is guaranteed in this life. Uh, I don't claim to be a prophet, but I can predict that uh, everybody here will go through suffering uh, at some point in time uh, and that there will be trials, uh, there will be difficulties. Uh, we may not be facing an, an imminent invasion as Habakkuk was, uh, but we, there will come moments in our life where we want to cry out to God and say, hey, what are you doing? Why, why are you acting in this way? Why, why are you letting the wicked prosper and I'm suffering? Uh, I, want an, I want an answer. And that's what Habakkuk was, was seeking from God. He wanted answers. Uh, and questioning God is an okay thing. But we need to come full circle uh, and come around just as Habakkuk did. Uh, but let's begin to look at, uh, at this book. Like I said, three, three chapters, all of uh, three pages in your Bibles. Uh, and beginning in, in verse 1, uh, we see the, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. Uh, and then some of you may have a little uh, title there uh, in your Bibles. Uh, in the ESV, it says Habakkuk's Complaint. Uh, and Habakkuk says, he says, Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? 
Destruction and violence are before me, and strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. See, in Habakkuk's day, uh, he had lived, in, like I said, in the late uh, 600s B.C., uh, and he saw probably the, the reign of the last righteous king of Judah, a gentleman named Josiah. Uh, and then he saw uh, Josiah's two sons, who were wicked men, rule after Josiah. Uh, and uh, the first of Josiah's sons to rule, his name was Jehoahaz, uh, and he ruled for only three months. Uh, and Pharaoh uh, of Egypt came and conquered him and took him away and said, okay, I'm going to put your brother in, in your place. Uh, and Pharaoh uh, renamed his brother uh, Jehoiakim, and Jehoiakim, even though he reigned 11 years, he was also a wicked king. So for Habakkuk to go from the righteous days of Josiah and then to see uh, two wicked kings and, and to see the entire nation sliding uh, away uh, and uh, the judgment of God imminent uh, was a discouraging thing. Uh, and yet he's crying out to, to God in the verses that we just read, asking, hey, why are you allowing uh, wicked people in Israel to prosper? You know, why, why do you give us this king? Why do you let the rulers uh, exist if they are wicked? Why do you give them power? And he complains to God about this. And then, verse 5, we see the Lord's answer, the Lord's response. He says, Look among the nations and see, wonder, and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff. And at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose might is their God. So God's response to Habakkuk, Habakkuk saying, Hey, how do you let this injustice in, in, in your country, in your nation of Judah, how do you allow this to continue, God? And God's answer is, Well, I'm not. I'm not going to allow this to continue. I'm going to actually use, the, he says, the Chaldeans, which is what we would know as the Babylonians. So I'm going to use them to come in and, and, and destroy Judah and to bring about judgment. And, and that's probably not what Habakkuk wanted to hear. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm going to use another country to come and invade you, uh, conquer you, and destroy you. That's going to be the judgment. That's how I'm going to deal with the wicked in Israel. Which then leads to Habakkuk's second complaint uh, in verse 12. He says, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, O, o Lord. You have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? So Habakkuk his second complaint is, God, why are you using them to judge us? So even though there was a, some wickedness in the land of Judah, Habakkuk's pointing and saying, hey, the Babylonians are far worse than anything that we got going on here. Uh, why, why would you use them? We're more righteous than them. How can you use them to judge us? And his, his complaint continues all the way into the beginning of, of chapter 2, verse 1. 
where he says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. So he says, okay, God, here's my complaint. Now you, now you answer me. You respond. How, how can you go about in this way? Uh, and the Lord gives a second response to him. And he begins in, in chapter 2, verse 2. He says, the Lord answered me. He says, write, write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. And then, very key verse. Verse 4. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not right within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. And and verse uh, 5 and following continued, in essence, saying... God is going to judge the Babylonians. Even though he's going to use the Babylonians to bring uh, justice to the land of Judah and to judge the wicked in Judah, he will eventually also judge the Babylonians for their wickedness. Uh, But he says in verse 4, what what does Habakkuk need to do? He needs to to trust in the Lord. The righteous shall live by his faith. And that verse is going to be picked up. That's the theme of a book called Romans in the New Testament. Uh, Romans 1.17 quotes uh, Habakkuk, and, and Paul says, The righteous shall live by faith. Uh, and this is what we are, are called to do. But then, uh, if you look at chapter 3 in Habakkuk, after the Lord unfolds uh, everything that he's going to do, in chapter 2 we have all of these woes uh, to the wicked, and then chapter 3 we have Habakkuk's prayer. And uh, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, is going to be pr- Habakkuk's prayer for mercy. He's going to say uh, in verse 2, O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. And then listen to his very simple prayer. In wrath, remember mercy. Lord, as, as you're bringing about judgment in the land of Judah, please also be merciful. And then in verses 3 through 15, uh, we see this amazing appearance of God, what we might call a theophany, an appearance of God of him coming in wrath and mercy. See, when God comes in judgment, he's also delivering his people. And there is no genuine rescue from an oppressor unless that oppressor is dealt with. And in verses 3 through 15, we see God coming to judge the wicked and to rescue his people. Uh, and then in verses 16 through 19, which is where I want to want to focus on uh, this morning, we see Habakkuk's response to this amazing vision of God coming in judgment. Uh, verses 16 through 19. Let's read those together. Habakkuk says, "I hear." Speaking of what he's what he's just seen and heard about the the appearance of God coming in judgment, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. 
I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. See, the the goal of Habakkuk 3, it was intended to be a song of worship, just as we we sang earlier today. Uh, It's intended to be a a worship song exalting God and at the end an exclamation of trust in him and in his ways. Uh, And in In these four verses, what we'll see is the conclusion that Habakkuk comes to in his questioning of the Lord. He has all of these questions of, God, how can you do this? Uh, Are you just, are you righteous for dealing with us in this way? And at the end of all of his uh, conversation with God, he comes to this conclusion that he will trust in the Lord even in the middle of difficult circumstances. And in these verses, Habakkuk shows us the full spectrum of emotion. Uh, He's crying out to God. He's, He's questioning him. Uh, but ultimately, he comes full circle and he, he commits to entrusting himself into the loving care of the Lord. Uh, and, but how do we find such encouragement? Right? That's what I want to know. How do, how do we get to where Habakkuk is at the end of uh, this book? How do we find encouragement? How do we live by faith when life is unjust? And what we're going to see this morning is, is three sources of encouragement that, that we can find in the middle of trials and suffering and injustice. And encouragement number one, uh, we see in, in verse 16, that we can find rest in God's judgment. We can find rest in God's judgment. Because, look at Habakkuk, or let's, let's re- see that verse again, of verse 16. I hear and my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. See, see, God uh, promises judgment, and when Habakkuk actually sees what the Lord is going to do when he comes in glory and judges the nations, uh, it causes him to tremble. Uh, it, it strikes fear into Habakkuk's own heart um, to see the Lord coming in judgment and in mercy to rescue his people. Uh, and he realizes the judgment of God isn't something to... Uh, to second guess, because no man w- will truly rejoice when they see the judgment of God. Uh, at the beginning of the book, he, he's crying out, God, you need to judge the wicked. And at the end here, he's like, wow, that's, that's pretty serious. Uh, and, and his whole body is trembling, his lips uh, quivering. Yet, uh, at the same time, see how verse 16 concludes of, hey, I'm going to... I'm willing to wait quietly. I'm not going to be crying out and demanding for God to, to bring judgment upon uh, the wicked, but I'm going to wait patiently and quietly for it. Because when we really think about uh, the judgment of God, it's, it's a scary thing. And oftentimes when, when we're crying out for injustice uh, to be judged, uh, what type of injustice are we thinking about? Injustice that's directed towards us, right? Uh, when, see, when we're, on, uh, when we're being sinned against, we're like, yeah, God, judge, judge the sinner. Uh, do it quickly. Deliver me. Uh, but when, when we are the ones who are committing injustice. When we are the ones who are sinning, what's, what's usually our attitude? What's our prayer? <laughs> be, be merciful, Lord. Be, be slow to act. Let me see uh, your steadfast, loving kindness. Uh, and and that's, I think that's a little bit what, of what Habakkuk sees here. When he genuinely sees uh, the judgment of God, that, that it's not something to, to call down lightly, uh, but it's something to, uh, to simply say, Lord, I, I'm going to trust you to make things right. 
in your time and in your way. And, and that brought peace uh, to Habakkuk. Uh, he found rest in trusting judgment to the Lord rather than him trying to act as judge himself. So even though he, he's trembling uh, at the thought of God's judgment, he's, he's going to wait and rest for God's judgment to, to take place. Uh, Hebrews 10.31 says, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And that's what Habakkuk begins to realize. And uh, so, so how do we do this? This isn't an easy thing to do uh, in terms of, uh, of trusting the Lord uh, to, to bring judgment uh, in his time and in his way. So how can we, uh, what do we need to remember? In essence, all sin is going to be judged at one of two uh, judicial appointments. Uh, the first of those judicial appointments was at the cross of Christ, where every sin of God's people was paid for by Christ. Uh, and uh, every sin of every believer was atoned for, paid for. The penalty has been uh, paid in full already. So when uh, your brother or sister in Christ, that fellow believer, sins against you, uh, we shouldn't be, be crying out for, for justice to take place because it already has. Christ has already paid for that person's sin. So we don't then need to, uh, to try and punish them. We don't need to, to hold uh, resentment and bitterness against them, but we need to to forgive them because their sin has already been paid for. Uh, and all of those sins that were not paid for on the cross, all of those who are not in Christ, all of those who will not believe in him, their sins will be judged in the future. We have a long time to wait for this, but they will be judged at the great white throne judgment that we see in Revelation 20. So ultimately, we can rest assured that there will not be any sins that go unpunished. Uh, and oftentimes we can fall into that trap of, look, they're getting away with something. Uh, God isn't acting. But the reality is, no, God has acted and he will act to judge every sin in history. Uh, and we can find rest and comfort in that. In times of injustice, in times of suffering and persecution, we can entrust ourselves to God and leave the judging part to him. And we can rest in the middle of our circumstances because of that. Uh, that's encouragement number one that we see. Encouragement number two in verses 17 and 18 is that we can find joy in God's salvation. Now, let's put, look back at those verses. Habakkuk says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the f- fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Uh, and what, what we see here is Habakkuk makes uh, these, these six statements, and they may be true of something that's actually taking place in his day, or they could be hypothetical uh, of him, of what's going to happen in the future. But he makes uh, these six statements, and, and it paints a, a pretty bleak prick picture, doesn't it? Of, hey, there, there's no food. Uh, there's no way for him to, to feed his family, to support his family. Everything is lost. And yet, what is he committing to do? To, to trust God. And not only just to, to trust God, but to, uh, to rejoice. I'm going to rejoice in the Lord, the, the God of my salvation. Because what does Habakkuk know is most important? What, what is he coming through uh, this, these trials with? He still has his life and he still has his salvation. Right? As we've seen on the news uh, there's a pretty big event that's taken place in in Houston in the Houston area, right? Uh, you know, four upwards of four feet of rain uh, fell uh, in southeast Texas, and 
I've just seen so many news clips where, where people have lost everything. Uh, their, their homes, uh, all of their possessions, uh, their car has been totaled, uh, and yet, as they're being interviewed, what are they thankful for? They're thankful that they and their loved ones are alive, that, that they've escaped with maybe just a backpack. Uh, and it, I've seen video clips of literally people praising God that they still have their lives, that they, everything else is taken away from them, and they've lost everything. They're still able to praise God. And what Habakkuk is finding joy in is something even greater than just a, a, your physical uh, temporary life here on the earth, but his salvation. See, your salvation in Christ is untouchable. It's not, it can't be taken away. It can't be corrupted. Now, I want, want you every, everybody turn over to, to Romans chapter 8. An amazing uh, passage uh, that, that supports what we're, what we're seeing here. Beginning in, in verse 35 in Romans 8. Paul writes, he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? And we might add to that, will, will a hurricane, or a harsh winter, uh, or job loss, or, or, the, or the death of a loved one, will, will any of those things separate us from the love of Christ? No. Paul continues, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered, even if we should lose our own life in uh, persecution or in an invasion, uh, we would still not be separated from Christ. Verse 37, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, Habakkuk found joy by thinking about the untouchable salvation that he had in God. And uh, he's beginning to to live out Habakkuk 2.4 of the righteous shall live by faith and seeing uh, that his faith in God, his trust in God alone uh, is what will keep him secure. If we turn back to uh, Habakkuk, uh, we continue to see uh, his his faith on display. And uh, on on his side of the cross, Habakkuk was still saved by faith. He was saved by trusting in God and his faith in the Messiah who was to come. And on this side of the cross, you and I can only be saved by our faith in Jesus as well. A faith that looks backward upon the sacrifice of Christ, uh, not our own deeds as our only way to be saved. Uh, and this is how we find uh, joy in unenjoyable circumstances. Uh, that we remember our salvation in Christ is secure, and that external circumstances don't change that heavenly reality. Charles Spurgeon uh, has have this quote from him that's just uh, absolutely amazing. He says, If there are any of you in great trouble, I would like to remind you of this fact, that faith in Jesus is the best cure for every care, the best balm for every wound, it says, get you away to Jesus. At the foot of his cross is the best place for mourners. 
All our other sorrows die where Jesus' sorrows are revealed. Faith in Christ is what you need beyond everything else. To understanding uh, our salvation, now we can rejoice that it is untouchable. Even when everything else, even when nothing is going right in our external circumstances, we can rejoice in Christ because our salvation, our standing with him is untouchable. Uh, that, that's, that's the second encouragement we see here. And then encouragement number three in verse 19, that we can find stability in God's strength. Verse 19, God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. And uh, any of you, you notice what's different about uh, the word God in some of your translations? Does anybody have that in all capital letters? Yeah. Uh, it, it's it's the, the divine name, Yahweh. Uh, Yahweh, the Lord, is my strength. Uh, and uh, literally meaning, hey, God is the source of my strength, or, or it is God who causes me to be strong. Uh, that, that is what Habakkuk is saying. Uh, and as we read uh, earlier in Habakkuk, uh, the Babylonians, what was their, what was their God? Their own strength. Yeah. Chapter 1, verse 11. It says, their strength is their God. But here Habakkuk flips it. See, God is his strength. The, the Babylonians relied upon themselves, but what is Habakkuk relying upon? God. Uh, he, he's not looking inwardly, but externally at what God is able to do. Uh, and then he gives uh, an illustration there. Uh, and you hunters would appreciate this. Uh, he says, he makes my feet like the deer's, right? Uh, what do deer do? Do they just stand there? No, they, they, uh, they run. Uh, they can run very quickly. They can uh, run across uh, terrain. They can run through forests. They can run over mountainous terrain. They can, uh, and they usually do that without missing a beat. Uh, they're they're sure-footed. Uh, and the idea here, what, what Habakkuk is trying to compare, is that, that deers are known for being able to bound quickly uh, over rough terrain. And the point of his illustration is to compare them, their swift and graceful bounding over those difficult uh, obstacles physically is in the same way how we get to swiftly and gracefully uh, journey through life's trials. Uh, without losing our footing, without uh, stumbling and falling, we are able to have sure footing in every trial and circumstance because God is our strength rather than our own strength being our God. We can have sure footing. And just as we see the, these three encouragements today, what's, what's, uh, what do they all have in common? Well, they're all based upon the character of God uh, and understanding who God is in the middle of our trials is what brings hope. It's what, what brings uh, rest and joy and strength and stability uh, because uh, of who God is, not because of who we are, uh, but his character is what uh, enables us to, to journey through difficult circumstances. It enables us to, to weather the storms of injustice and, and suffering. And again, to, to quote Charles Spurgeon, uh, and also very similar to the, the second song that we sang this morning, uh, Spurgeon writes, he says, It is often so with us, when the winds are out and the storms are raging, there is plenty of fear, but there is no danger. We may be much tossed, but we are quite safe. 
For we have an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which will not move. One blessed thing is that our hope has such a grip of us that we know it. In a ship, you feel the pull of the anchor, and the more the wind rages, the more you feel that the anchor holds you. Like the boy with his kite, the kite is up in the clouds where he cannot see it, but he knows it is there, for he feels its pull. So our good hope has gone up to heaven, and it is pulling and drawing us towards itself. So you see, that's what these trials do, is they help us to, to realize how securely we are anchored to Christ. He is our sure and steady anchor, and that is what we need to remember now. If, if you're not suffering any trials now, May we just write this upon our hearts because, again, there will come times of suffering later. Uh, and if you are going through a trial right now, if you are uh, in, enduring uh, some difficult circumstances in your life, this is what we need to, to remember and remind ourselves of daily, moment by moment, uh, hourly, uh, to re- remember that Christ is our sure and steady anchor. And as Habakkuk found joy, rest and stability in trusting in God's character. So must we. Let's pray. Almighty God, you you are the creator and owner of everything. Lord, every, every man is accountable to you and you do as you please. Yet you are also a holy and righteous and just God and you will judge sin and the sinner. And Lord, that is sobering. It is a fearful thing to, to fall into your hands and to have to give an account for our own sins. And Lord, as we, as we think about that, it leads us to greater and greater praise of Christ. The one who lived a perfect life and then gave that life on our behalf to pay for our sins if we would trust in him. Lord Jesus, we thank you, we praise you that you have given your life for us. And Lord, we also thank you and praise you for anchoring our soul to you. Lord, there is no way for us to be separated from you. Lord, you hold us securely and fastly in your hands. There's none who can remove us. And Lord, that is what anchors our soul in the midst of trials and difficult circumstances in this life. That is what enables us to have joy in unenjoyable situations. And Lord, that is what gives us stability. Because you are our strength. We are not our own strength, Lord, but help us to to trust in you. Lord, teach us to count upon you, to, to remember your character, and to keep our eyes upon Christ in the middle of our circumstances, knowing that we cannot be moved. Lord, we thank you for uh, your word and the trustworthiness of your character. Lord, we ask that you would strengthen our hearts this morning in response to this. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.